G'day, g'day guys. Now before we dive into today's show, I want to let you know that some of you may be aware that over the past eight years, I have built a substantial multifamily real estate portfolio here in the US worth over half a billion dollars. And in that time, my passive investors have received fantastic double digit returns. And now you too can invest directly into my deals for as little as $50,000. So if you're an interested investor, head over to reedgoosens.com to find out more. That's reedgoosens.com. Now back into the show. And those who are listening, you're going to go through the same thing. You're in this paradigm that you've got right now. You have limiting beliefs. You've got certain things that you're expecting, but you're going to continue to evolve and grow. You've got to be I think the most important part, and my guess is if you look at the entrepreneurs that are successful, is they're willing to go through those, right? They're they're open to it and they're expecting it and they're wanting those challenges. They're wanting to be uncomfortable. That's the people that are successful. Those who just kind of flounder around or get to a certain point, they just they they just don't accept it and they they want to be comfortable. They don't like that unease, right? Welcome to Investing in the US, a podcast for real estate investors, business owners, and aspiring entrepreneurs looking to break into the US market. Join Reed as he interviews go-getters, risk-takers, and the best in the business about their journey towards financial freedom and the sheer joy of creating something from nothing. G'day, g'day, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to another cracking edition of Investing in the US podcast. From Los Angeles, I'm your host, Reed Goosens. Good as always to have you with us on the show. Now, I'm glad that you've all tuned in to learn from my incredible guests, and each and every one of them are the cream of the crop here in the United States when it comes to real estate investing, business investing, and entrepreneurship. Each show, I try and tease out their incredible stories of how they have successfully created their businesses here in the US, how they've created financial freedom, massive amounts of cash flow and ultimately create extraordinary lives for themselves and their families. Life by design, as I like to say. Hopefully, these guests will inspire all of my cracking listeners, which are you guys, to get off the couch and go and take massive amounts of action. If these guys can do it, so can you. Now, as you know, I'm all about sharing the knowledge with my loyal listeners, which is you guys, and there's absolutely no BS on this show, just straight into the nuts and bolts. Now, if you do like this show, the easiest way to give back is to give us a review on iTunes, and you can follow me on Facebook and Twitter by searching at Reed Goosens. You can find the show wherever you podcast on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, and Google Play, but you can also find these episodes up on my YouTube channel. So head over to reedgoosens.com, click on the video link, and it will take you to the video recordings of these podcasts where you can see my ugly mug, but the beautiful faces of my guests each and every week. All right, enough out of me. Let's get cracking and into today's show. Today on the show, I have the pleasure of welcoming back a really good friend of mine to this show, Todd Dexheimer. Now, Todd is the principal of Endurus Capital and Vita Care Living. Now, for those people who don't know who Todd is, he started investing way back in 2008. And today, his company owns over 4,000 units of multifamily and senior housing. Todd has also completed over 150 flips, including a 20-unit mobile home park and a ski resort, while using profits to build his own rental portfolio. 
uh, own rental portfolio. Today, he focuses on syndicating large value-add senior living and multifamily uh, properties in emerging markets across the United States. And he was actually also on this show way back in 2018. If you're interested to take a listen to that, head over to uh, RG135. It was uh, all those years ago. But enough of me, really excited to have him back on the show. Let's get him out here. G'day, Todd. Welcome back to the show. How you doing today, mate? Great, man. I'm doing fantastic and pleasure as always to to see you and talk to you. So good, mate, good to be here. Thank you very, very much. I, I, Four years ago, man. Can, I know. Can, I know. <laughs> it was, I was, I was, I didn't think it was that long ago, but it, it's crazy it, how much changes in four years. You know, you look back to, I, I'm sure you were on my podcast likely about four years ago and you look at the differences of four years ago to today. It's just amazing, isn't it? And, and, I, and I'm actually shocked at the 135 number. I thought you'd be like, you know, episode 30 or something like that. You know, like we, we you know, because I, I feel like I've known you for such a long yeah. period of time. We, we've sort of started at around the same time and been running the same trap. So it's good to see, you know, see all the success you've done. And, and I think the real sort of tip of the hat is like, showing people that you have to be consistent at this business, right? It's not just going to happen overnight. Like I just mentioned in your story, 2008, you've been starting. Yep. Uh, but I want, I want to take that away from you. Do you want to give us a little bit of a uh, you know background, a 30-second elevator pitch, or your background for those people who may not have heard the episode 135 and, and just bring us up to speed what you're doing today? Yeah, sure. Um, well, I'll, I'll give you the quick story. You definitely feel free to to you know, dive in with more questions, but uh, started, started like you said, in 2008, I used to be a high school teacher. That was a long time ago now, uh, but I, I taught shop class. I taught, uh, you know, woodworking and metals and all that kind of stuff and uh, started my, cutting my teeth through flipping houses. Uh, actually, my, my dream, my goal uh, very early on was to buy apartment buildings and to buy a bunch of them and to own, you know, I thought if I could own a thousand units, if I could only own a thousand units, that would be amazing. And uh, one day I potentially will get there, uh, but I didn't know how to start. So I started buying single family homes as rentals. I bought some duplexes, quickly ran out of money. So I started flipping houses to generate cash to be able to buy more rentals. And so that's kind of how I moved along. I did about 150-ish flips. I had a hundred, you know, one to four family rentals, and a couple of smaller, smaller apartments, and some mixed-use commercial and stuff like that. And then about 2015 or so, I started going. Where do I want to go with this business? And that's what really led me into the multifamily space and where I am today. And through through many paradigm shifts, right? It just didn't happen overnight. But through many, you know, paradigm shifts and a lot of a lot of time and effort, I eventually graduated from doing one to four family to ten to twenty unit to hundred plus unit. And um, like I said, that's where I am today. We syndicate value add hundred plus unit apartment buildings. Also own some senior housing. Um, own about four hundred uh, units of senior housing, and then um, have a have a couple of different commercial uh, buildings of retail. Actually, we're just, we're just about to close on a retail strip mall and uh, have an industrial slash office uh, building as well. Wow. That's incredible. Are you all in the same market since when you first started? I'm not. So I'm based out of the Twin Cities. Everything I did when I first started was the Twin Cities or maybe dipping into Wisconsin a little bit, but uh, everything was pretty much based there. And then, you know, I started investing out of state 
kind of when I was making that transition. And that transition, again, that transition was like, I looked at the cash flow versus the flips and, and that, that, that was what made that happen. But I started um, going into, into Iowa or sorry, Ohio uh, and Kentucky and uh, still kind of in Ohio, Kentucky, Tennessee, um, and then Minnesota, Wisconsin is, is most of the assets. So some so Midwest, not necessarily Sunbelt, right? Yeah. Right now, I don't really have anything in the Sunbelt. I mean, t- Tennessee is closest to the Sunbelt, you know, I have. But, yeah, we, we definitely look, like the Sunbelt, look in the Sunbelt, but just don't have anything there right now. Mm, that's interesting. No, it's, it's interesting as everyone talks about Sunbelt, 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 and, like, you have a bit of uh, – just knowing you and in the introduction, I mentioned, you you know, you've been involved in a ski resort, which is a, a weird thing to be involved with. But it, it's that contrarian view of not going where everyone else is and, and finding there's still good deals in, in, in other parts of the country. You just got to understand what you got to look for. So um, that's that, that's that's awesome. And, and what, what the company you mentioned earlier. Thousand units. If only you could get to a thousand units. What what did that mean to you back then? And and what does it mean to you now? Well, I, I think for me it was like whoa, a thousand units. Like first of all, it was a big number. It sounded really cool. <laughs> uh, so I think that was like it doesn't. It's it's not like it was that amazing. Like there wasn't that much thought into it otherwise, other than wow, that was a really big number. But then. You know, I think I was here listening to somebody say, you know, you can make a hundred bucks a unit or expect to make 75 to a hundred bucks a unit. That's kind of, should be your goal. I thought, well, I got a thousand units. I'm making 75 to a hundred bucks a unit. That's pretty amazing. Right. I don't have to do, I don't have to work again. And that was honestly like my original, like just kind of knee jerk thing is I just, I, I just want to do that and I don't have to work again. Now I could imagine not working. I just like <laughs> love everything I do. So uh, yeah, I, I don't know exactly why that was a magic number. It was just like, just some, you know, 25 or six or whatever it was. Like, th- that's all I was thinking of. Now what's a thousand units mean? What's 4,000? What's 5,000? You know, we're, we're approaching 5,000 units right now. And it's like, it doesn't really, doesn't really mm-hmm. mean much. It's, it's, um, it's more of how we're growing the business, how we're showing up, what kind of impact are we making? Um, you know, how are we changing lives? How are we changing communities? That's, that's more important to me than, than just some number. Right. Right. Yep. No, I, I think that's so important as you grow as an entrepreneur, things that you held on to early on in your career, you know, that the escape in the day job or the, you know, got to get to this number and life will be set. There's always going to be another mountaintop to scale. And it's, it's, it's always, you got to enjoy the journey. And I think that's what you're saying now. Like you're, mm-hmm. you're focusing not necessarily on the number, but more the impact. Yeah. And that's important as, as an entrepreneur, as an investor, um, just, you know, as a human, <laughs> right? It gives you purpose rather than just because in the beginning, we all do it as an inward, I want to escape the day job. I want to have financial freedom for my family. Yeah. And then when you get there, you think, well, what's next? <laughs> you know, I, I remember when I've, I left my day job and, it was for the longest period of time, it was like, you know, quit, 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 quit. And then I got there and I was like, well, now what's the new North Star? Like, what, what am I building? What's the next 10 years going to look like? It took me seven years to get me to where I was. And now it looks a little different. And and I, I, I love that. I guess the question back to you is what does the next 10 years look like? Given that, you know, you and I have been friends for over five years. I've had you on the podcast four years ago. You, you've been doing it since 2008. What, what does that look like now? 
Yeah, obviously, 10 years is a long time from now. Um, what does it look like? It, uh, you know, when I look at what 10 years from now looks like, it's probably going to be a lot different than what it truly is. And, and my values are not, I should say my values, my values are my values, but, but what I value as being important right now is probably going to be a lot different in 10 years and some of my philosophies and stuff like that. But, you know, if I look forward, I, I look at, you know, just, I want to create a business that can continue to make impact. And so I really want a business that, that I'm, I'm impacting, positively impacting my, my employees, my staff. I want to positively impact the communities that we're doing business with uh, business in, and I want to positively impact the, the tenants, you know, that are residing at our buildings or renting from us. Uh, and of course provide, you know, great returns for our investors. I really want to create this kind of community and, um, it's all about impact for me right now. It's, it's, you know, certainly definitely there's, there's the selfishness too, right? And I want to create a, a wealth and income and for my family, for myself and, and kind of that legacy, you know, that, that's the other thing I think of a little bit more, um, just creating more impact with my family as well. And it's not, again, it's not about just the wealth, um, but that definitely has something to do with it. And the other day, I, you know, I was able to make a, a a nice donation to my church. And that's that's the other thing I, I look at it, just like, man, how nice, Reed, would it be? I'm sure you have some passions that you really, <clears throat> really, really get you going. And how nice would it be just to be able to go, oh, they need, 500,000 or they need a million or they need whatever, name the amount. I'll, I'm just going to write the check today. Mm. And I know it's going to make a massive impact. And I don't need anybody to, to pat me in the back. I don't need anybody to even know I did it. I just want to be able to do it and mm. know that, you know, it's, it's almost more fun. So I, I made this you know, donation, nice donation to the church and it, it doesn't matter how much it was, but it was, it's nice to hear people talking and not knowing who did it and just going, wow, that was really cool. You know, and I went, oh, you know, somebody said, can we find out who did it so we can write them a thank you, you know, letter. And it's just kind of hmm. like, yeah, cool. Giving like, back. No, yeah, yeah. you're not going to find out who did it, but really cool <laughs> to like hear that. So it's just, you know, that, that's what it's all about now. No, I, I think that that is really important, and, and having impact in one's life, and and being able to give back, because that's the purpose of going back to what I was saying earlier. Is that those goals, those north star changes as you progress mm -hmm. through your entrepreneurial life. And I like the fact that, and I sit in the same boat as you. I when I moved, first moved to the US I, ten years ago, I had no idea I'd be sitting here talking to you about oh, yeah. you know, four thousand, ten thousand, whatever the units, right. And the last 10 years have been a freaking awesome ride. The next 10 years, when, I, when I'm 36, when I turn 46, like it's going to be even better. Yeah. Right? Like, and, and, yeah. and it's sort of the surrender is also, it's not that I don't have a path or I don't have a North Star. It's just like I don't, I'm not tying my value to 20,000 units or a billion dollars <laughs> yeah. or whatever that might be. And and when those shackles came come off, and you get to do the the giving backs and the you know the the, the realizing more, I think. You grow as you, you just grow a little bit more. You know, I, yeah. I, I can't quite can't put my finger on it, but it's 
it's nearly like a stress has been lifted. Like I don't, I don't, I don't need to prove it to myself that I can go out and buy a thousand units. I, I've already done it. Thus, this next ten years, I can take that pressure off because I'm just going to continue to do what I'm going to do. Yeah, look, I mean, goals goals are always great to make and and to have these values and this vision. And I think it's really important to be looking at that stuff and understanding what your goals and your values and your visions are. But also, you have to be able to understand that that's always changing. And uh, as you as you move along your journey, that that it's okay to to change and disrupt your goals and your your vision, and uh, just always be always be evolving. You know, part of I think what makes an entrepreneur success journey exciting and an entrepreneur successful period is that they go through these paradigm shifts in life. And I mean, think back, I'm sure you've got 30 paradigm shifts. If you dive into it, you know, I just, I can still remember thinking about wanting to buy a hundred unit building, but just not knowing how to get there. And it was simply a few words from a mentor of mine that made me go, Whoa, you're right. And I'm going to go buy a hundred unit building. And it was within like two months of that conversation that I had a hundred unit building under contract. And it was just this simple like paradigm shift. It was my own mind holding me back. There was nothing else. And those who are listening, you're going to go through the same thing. You're in this paradigm that you've got right now. You've have limiting beliefs. You've got certain things that you're expecting, but you're going to continue to evolve and grow. You've got to be I think the most important part, and my guess is if you look at the entrepreneurs that are successful, is they're willing to go through those, right? They're they're open to it and they're expecting it and they're wanting those challenges. They're wanting to be uncomfortable. That's the people that are successful. Those who just kind of flounder around or get to a certain point, they just they they just don't accept it and they they want to be comfortable. They don't like that unease, right? Yeah. No, I, I could I only imagine that how uncomfortable you would have got to go and put that 100 units under contract back yeah. in the day. You know, it would have been a real big paradigm shift and <laughs> and a push outside of your comfort zone to yeah. say, just even putting the pen to paper to write the offer. <laughs> yeah. You know, am I, am I doing the right thing? Yeah, especially after I was buying, you know, duplexes and fourplexes and stuff like that. I mean, that that's what I was buying. And all of a sudden to go to this, 100, who am I? Like, mm. you know, and I, and I know you did similar. And it's just like, it's kind of a, a, a an odd kind of transition, but it's just, you know, you have to allow yourself to, to take those risks. And again, to get outside of your comfort zone, that's the only way you're going to grow. Right. I completely agree. Um, let's shift to, to today, right? What, you know, what are you seeing in the markets and, and how are you reacting to inflation and, the rising interest rates, which is just, you know, we've gone from 0% to, you know, you read some papers and they're thinking it's going to be 4% by the end of the year. Yeah. You know, like, how are you handling that? And and are you seeing opportunities? Are you seeing falling knives? What's what's going on in your world when you're looking at new deals? Well, certainly, uh, we're, we're looking at what the potential risks and the downside could be. That I think any smart entrepreneurs are always looking at that. And let me just go back real quick. Okay. When I first started as 2008, the world was literally crashing. Everybody was losing everything, ducking under their house, you know, well, they lost their house, so ducking under a bridge to, to make sure they're not going to get hit by the falling rocks that were still coming down. And 
But when you actually look back and open your eyes and you say, well, 2008 was a fantastic time to buy real estate, right? 2009, 2010, a fantastic time. 2000, I can remember back in 2014, maybe 15, there was rumblings of a double dip recession. We were going to go through a recession. I know several people that sold a lot of properties or all their properties. I know one guy who had many, many units and sold all his, his whole portfolio um, because the market was going to crash. 2018, the market was poised to crash. It was going to crash. 2019, 2020, COVID hit. The world was going to end. 2021, now 2022, what are we having? Interest rates, inflation, war in Ukraine, all this crazy stuff. The world's going to end again, right? My point of eventually we're going to have a recession. Eventually things aren't going to go perfect, but the world's going to continue. And mm. people, there's opportunities that are going to continue to be out there. So what you have to understand is how are you buying your assets? How are you running and operating your business? And, and, and make sure you're doing it in a sound way that's going to protect yourselves from those potential downsides that mostly don't happen, but every once in a while do happen, right? I mean, if you just look at the pure economics, I mean, upswings go for a pretty extended period of time, and then a downswing happens for a very short period of time. Okay, let's make sure we can hold through those down periods because then the up period happens again. It's just how, how the economy works. So that's how we're looking at things. You know, How long can we hold this, these assets during a downtime? Uh, what's our stress test? And okay, with, with that being said, does the does it make sense to continue to buy? The answer for us is yes, it makes sense to continue to buy. Now, would we be okay holding and, and not doing anything? Absolutely. But read, tell me, give me the date that a recession is going to happen and tell me how deep it's going to go. No one knows. Perfect. You gave me the answer. So why am I going to sit around and do nothing for two, for three, for five years waiting for this recession that's going to decrease properties by 1%, 10%, or 50%? Because we don't know. So we're continuing to buy. We're trying to be smart about it. And we're trying to understand how much downside we have, which again, we can never predict exactly, but we want to be wise about what we do. And if, as long as we do that, we feel like we have a really good chance of making it through whatever recession, whatever gets thrown our way. Mm -hmm. No, I, can, I, I agree with all of those statements in, in terms of how to look at opportunity, right? It's, as you say, no one knows exactly when it's going to hit and how deep it's going to be and for how long, but you have to be consistent Consistently being consistent around looking at deals, hanging around the hoop, you know, I think yeah. is a great time to be buying assets. Uh, in terms of that downside protection, one of the big things people are skittish about are lending, right? The lending environment. Yeah. What are you doing these days? You know, rate caps, are you getting floating rate? Are you getting fixed rate? Are you buying the caps? And and if so, have you got assets that are coming out of cap rate, uh, rate cap um, holds? And, you know, you, you got a bit of exposure there. Like, how are you navigating that right now? Yeah, I mean, I, look, I prefer if we can get a, a fixed rate. I think that's kind of always been the safest way. But the reality is we're doing value add. So a lot of times we're getting floating rate debt. 
Mm -hmm. Uh, However, I'm read quite frankly, I'm kind of okay with it. Uh, It's not perfect, but look, it's, I, I think we're going to see interest rates continue to rise, but they're not my guess. My gut says they're not rising. They might go up to 4%. Like you said, the the fed rate might go up to 4%, but is it going to go up to six, eight, 10%? I doubt it. Like I just have a hard time believing that it will. So if we can lock in something right now, and it's a it's a term for two to three years. I feel like in two to three years, there's a really good chance rates will be at or below the level they are now, uh, or what we actually need them to be. So I'm kind of okay with it. Where I think it it's going to hurt people are the people that locked in, you know, three years ago or close to that, and theirs coming due right now, and they underwrote at either a refinance or, you know, they underwrote for their interest rate to be 3% and now they're sitting there at five or potentially higher percent. Um, That's where it's gonna hurt people. For those of you who are interested in staying up to date with all the latest happenings in my business, or to learn more about passively investing directly into my multifamily value-add deals, then head over to reedgoosens.com and sign up for my monthly newsletter. By signing up, you'll automatically be notified about my new up-and-coming investment opportunities. You'll be able to stay up to date with all the latest real estate news here in the United States and much, much more. So head over to reedgoosens.com and sign up today. Now, back into the show. I think you're right. And with the same breath, are you seeing in the deals you're looking at uh, uh, a cap rate expansion now? You know, a little bit. Take, take it back a year ago. Mm-hmm. I think everywhere across the country, you know, would be around a four to four and yeah, a half percent, right. right? Like, I don't think there was a market you couldn't, you know, a market that's poised for growth that you couldn't find. And you probably even sub that, you know, Phoenix's, the Austin's, the Dallas's, yeah. the yeah. Denver's. You know, they, they were starting to match cap rates in, on the coastal cities. You know, the Los Angeles, the San Francisco's, um, the New York's of the world. Yeah. What even are you Midwest, seeing? Uh, even the Midwest. Yeah. Right. right. You, you know, you maybe got 25 to 50 basis points, you know, higher cap rate, but you're still seeing four and a half to five caps versus four, right. four and a half, you know. Is, right. Right. So, are you seeing that shift now to be above five in your in your markets? I, I would say we're seeing a shift a little bit. I, I I'm not seeing a big shift. I'm not seeing this uh, at, at least not yet. Well, I'm not seeing this big massive shift. So, I think that so there was there was a small time period, <clears throat> and when everything started really getting shaken up, you know, let's call it May. April, May, mm-hmm. June, um, that we're seeing properties that, boy, I mean, you'd expect 30, 40 offers on, right? And now all which of a sudden- insane. What? Which is, ins- which which is, is insane ins- in, its, cra- in itself. Crazy. It's insane, yeah. But now you're seeing one or two, you know? You, you don't even see that many people looking at the deal. Uh, that's what we we're hearing for brokers. And so we thought, wow, this is going to be amazing. But we didn't see that big of price reductions. I think sellers are kind of just holding tight. Um, buyers are are not quite ready to come to Get sellers' terms. Or I shouldn't say they're not. 
not as many buyers are. So I feel, still feel like there's enough though to where mm. sellers don't need to adjust that much. Right. No, I, I, are, what are you seeing? Are you seeing this similar? Or? I'm seeing I'm seeing something similar. You know, we we did a deal in in April, which was right as sort of the the shift. The sort of like yeah. you definitely you could definitely argue is the peak. You know, and, yeah. and we're definitely seeing markets come off, um, which has got you know to be brutal. It's got me a little bit. You know, oh, geez, do we get do we buy at the wrong time? Are we buying a falling knife? You know, all those sort of things. But to your point, I've got a two. I've got a three year cap on it. You know, I've already hit that rate cap already. To be to be brutally honest, which was a six percent, um, which is the spread plus you know, the, the sofa. Um, but the floor is zero. So if it comes back down, you, you get the upside. We we modelled that in. We looked. We showed investors, you know, all the downside that could happen if this was at six percent for the entire five years. What does a return look like? Well, it's definitely different to what well, you know what you, if you average at mid four interest yeah. rates. But you're not losing people's money, right? Yeah. So I think that's still the fundamentals. Uh, there, I'm definitely seeing in in general there is a bit of like I hunt in Phoenix and I hunt in Texas and I hunt in the Carolinas. The Carolinas are more seeing a price adjustment quicker. Phoenix is not so much, um, but I'm also looking at it's slightly different deals. Like I'm looking at tax abatement deals. I'm looking at light tech deals mm. that are burning off in the next three years. So I'm looking at stuff that I that I'm not going to get as much competition on yeah. and I still believe in the value add. So there's little, you know, and, and maybe solving for high tax rates in, in certain states like Texas yeah. where the, the tax rate is insane. Um, so y- y- yes, I am seeing, but I, I do think there's still a, a shift to come with sellers having to readjust even further. Mm-hmm. Now, depending on who you listen to, and I love your opinion on this, is there more pain to be felt? I don't know the answer to that yet. And I don't know if, if if you read what the Fed is saying up in what was it Jackson Hole, they're keeping them high for a little bit for for for, for a foreseeable future. So I think the market was trying to, to to price in what Q1 Q2 next year starting to see a reversal. But I think you're seeing Jay Powell really trying to break the back of this inflation. And I I I think you'll be in you know high, a, a quote unquote higher interest rate environment for at least the next six to 12 months. That has to have an impact on sellers' expectations. I think we're still too fresh in it, only being sort of less than six months into it, where sellers are like, no, no, it'll come back. And, yeah. and, and it, it just won't. That, that's that's going to be the interesting part because I agree. I think it's going to be 12, I think it's going to be 12 plus months, 12, 18, maybe even 24 months because I don't think we have necessarily an inflation problem based on what interest rates are at. I don't think interest rates are going to make as much of an impact as what Powell thinks they are. I think we've got inflation based on supply and labor issues that are going on. And that's a long-term outlook. I mean, that's that's not changing tomorrow. <clears throat> so I think I think we're in an inflationary, extended inflationary period of time, which means interest rates will be up for a long time. That's if that's the case, which I I, I believe it is then I agree. You're going to see some sellers that that need to sell. Um, for, there, there's a couple of reasons why you're going to have sellers that need to sell. One is you've got institutional type funds, you've got syndications that just, that's their clock and they have to sell. And quite frankly, they're probably still going to do really well. They bought in, let's call it 2018. Now it's 2023. It's their five-year cycle and they got to sell. And 2018, Man, prices were way cheaper than they are right now. Prices could drop by 20% rate and they would still do well, right? Right. Um, so 
they're they're going to sell and instead of selling for you know 20 million they're going to sell for 19 million oh well they're mm-hmm. still going to they're still going to return their investors 22% IRR or whatever it ends up being so that's one seller the other seller is the 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 person the, the company like i was saying they locked in in you know 2020 19 yeah whatever it was and their interest rate was super cheap and now their loan is at that point where they have to figure out what to do next. And they might not have, if it was an interest only, they didn't build much equity. Maybe they don't have enough equity to refinance. Maybe the, the interest rate is just too high. They can't, or they go, man, it's not worth it, whatever it might be. And they're willing, they're willing to sell and take a bargain. The question is, how many people are we going to be in that position to where they're willing to sell and take a bargain. And so how much is that bargain going to really take place? And then there's a ton of money sitting on the sidelines. There's a ton of money out there. So what does the money supply look like at that point in time? Mm. And, uh, how hungry are they for deals? Right. Yep. I, can, I, I completely agree. There's also going to be the people who buy in this time and, you know, can, can continue to hold for a bit longer than what, what's normal. I do think you're seeing some price adjusting across, you know, 10 to 15% already in some markets. Uh, so, you, but I don't know if you're going to have a deep-seated recession like, you know, 50% or, we, we, you know, the, the, the 120K a door is now the new 80K a door. I don't think we're going yeah. back that way. So um, fact check me on this, Reed. but mm. over the last 200 years, real estate in the U.S. has crashed more than 10% only four times. Wow. And I'm going to be probably butcher the first two dates, but it's something like 1836, 1887, 1929, and 2008. Yep. Okay. That's it. And so people who are holding their breath, waiting for a massive crash in real estate might be waiting a lot longer. Now, mm-hmm. doesn't mean they will. It could happen again, certainly. But they, they, the history tells us that these are not consistent events. They don't happen every five years. They don't happen every 10 years. They happen every 50 years. Mm. No, you, you, that's a good start. I didn't, I didn't realize the stuff back in the 80s. And you said less than, more than 10%. Is that what you said? More than 10%. So, you know, 1980s. It definitely had some some issues. 1990s definitely had some issues, but it wasn't big price price drops. On, on average, the markets went down a couple percent. Yep, yep. but it's, it's, I definitely for all those listeners out there, I definitely go fact check that. But I, I do I do believe in the sentiment that you're trying to trying to establish is that it is long time between drinks on these huge corrections. Yep. Um, and and you know, people are comparing what we're in to today versus the 1970s. But you know, and the people are thinking, oh, it's got to be a repeat of the 1970s. But you can only look at history so much to see how to, to, to try and identify trends. And history is a very good indicator of what's going to happen in the future because us as humans, we tend to do the same things over and over again. We're stupid, right? <laughs> we we get to, we get too far away from the last recession. We forget about what happened and we make the same mistakes yeah. again. Um, so uh, it would be interesting. But things are always different too, right? They and, are. And, you know, what was different in the 70s and 80s? I mean, look at 
we didn't have institutional buyers back then. You didn't have, you didn't have four, 401ks were not a thing. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, we didn't have a, what a REIT? What is that? You know, back in, who knew what a REIT was back in 1970? It wasn't, it wasn't a thing. There's so many differences now. A, a, a Chinese investor investing in the US in 1970, that didn't happen. It was the guy down the road that had a handshake deal that had the capital to do it. It wasn't what you see today. It was it's totally different. So we've got a totally different market, especially in in the commercial real estate than we've ever seen before. And again, I'm not trying to say I'm I'm not the super bullish person, probably less bullish than most, but um it's just it's just a lot different. It's, it, it's it's fascinating, but it's also ch- very challenging to figure out where, where we're going, which is why I go back to my first point of, look, be smart about what you buy and have your set criteria and stick to it. Yeah. And and be consistent around doing, underwriting those deals yeah. day in, day out, because you're going to see, it's not sexy, but you, the more deals you underwrite, the more um, sort of... Uh, key key performance indicators you can see yeah. and how things are shifting from okay what were sales prices two years ago what are they today where where's where's interest rates today where's insurance pricing where's where's mm. the debt all these things you know you mix in a pot and you'll be able to produce the soup that you can then make an educated yeah. decision and say I want to go ahead with that deal or not it makes sense for me or not I'm a protecting my investors downside or not love it um, Todd one thing I want to ask you before we wrap up the end of the show is you know, we've known each other for many, many years now. What's been looking back on the the career that you've created? What's been like one of the biggest mistakes or failures? Now we talk about successes and 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 there's growth and thousand, four thousand units and mobile home parks. But what has been the one thing that stands out? That's like, ow, I hit my thumb. So, I mean, I could I could list a, a number of them. You know, I I used to not use attorneys and think I could do it myself. And, but I, that's, that's exactly what it is. So it's the bigger picture is I thought I could do everything myself. If, if it needed to get done, it was my job to do it because I'm the owner of the company. The buck stops with me. So I'm going to make all the decisions. I'm going to do all the work. Um, everything's on me and and if I can't do it, nobody can do it better than me. And so that philosophy was probably the biggest kind of hurdle to my growth, the biggest mistake. And I still, to this day, struggle with some of that um, and always have to find different ways to make sure I'm taking myself out of really messing up my business, <laughs> you know? Getting um, out of your own way. Yeah. So, I mean, I, do I have time for a quick story? Sure. I mean, I got 50 of them, I could tell you, but, uh, you know, one, one of my favorite ones that, it, you know, I was flipping houses and I load my car up and I'm driving down the road and I got my Nissan Altima and I'm loading. I got two by fours. I got like a concrete bags. I got all kinds of stuff in there. It's riding, you know, sitting there at like a 20 degree angle, butt in the butt down to the ground. And uh, I'm sitting there looking at the sky, driving down the road because it's so loaded up. And I hit this railroad track and my whole back end just goes out, shock strut, the whole, the whole works. I got to limp into the service station. Luckily, that was like two blocks away. They probably strategically placed it there because they knew those railroad tracks were pretty, pretty rickety. And I'm sure it's happened before. So I go limp in there, 
three, $5,000 later, probably, probably 5,000 or more. Uh, I have a fixed car. I had to lease rent a car for a couple of days till it got done. And I got a fixed up car, but I, but in the meantime, I'm sitting here going, what am I doing? Like, what am I doing? I'm grabbing materials for these guys that are working on my property. I'm a delivery driver. Like, what the heck am I doing? And so I find out that, you know, Home Depot will, will deliver for free. And then I find out that Home Depot will actually send a guy to my property and do the whole material list takeaway. And I'm like, what? why am I not delegating this stuff? And so that was a paradigm shift to go, I got to figure out how to give stuff away. And it, and it continues. Again, it continues to this day. Here's an exercise I would challenge like all your listeners to do, yourself to do. I, I need to always do this. And I would say do this once a quarter, potentially, to potentially even more. But take an inventory for at least two weeks in a row of everything you do. Write it down. Everything you did during that day. And do this for two weeks and grade it one through 10. One is something you don't like doing and it has zero value to your business. Okay. Or it maybe it, maybe it needs to get done, but it can be done by somebody that you could pay 10, 15 bucks an hour. Okay. A 10 is something you love doing and absolutely moves your business forward and gets you closer to your vision. Okay. And, and then everything in between. Right. And so, the goal then is to take all the ones, all the twos, all the threes, and so on, up to maybe seven and get rid of those and hand those over to people that can take them for you and be left with only the, the eights, the nines, and the tens. Now, how sweet, Reed, would it be to be left with only the tens, only the stuff that you wake up every morning and you go, this is what drives me. This is what moves my business along. And I know I've got an amazing team behind me that's doing the one through nines. And that's what drives them, by the way. My bookkeeper and, and assistant, it drives her. She loves doing the work she's doing. It drives me nuts doing the work <laughs> she's doing. So why am I selfish in doing that work myself? I'm giving her a good paycheck and she's doing what she loves. How awesome is that? Like yeah. that's an impact, right? Right. No, no, it's it's true, and there's so many ways to. There's another way I do it as well. I I, black, I break it up into black, blue, red, and green time yeah. on, a, on a Gantt chart. You know yeah. where it's a the I think X axis is moves the needle in the business, and the Y axis. So X is I enjoyment, Y is moves the needle, Love and then it. you put it in those Love quadrants. You, you you list the things that you like doing, you don't like doing, and then. That what each quadrant then does is creates the blue and the red creates a job description for yeah. that person, yeah. right? And then you take that and you put it up on Upwork and you find someone to, yeah. <laughs> or split it into some roles and, and you do it. The green time is actually doesn't move the business a lot, but it's like stuff I love doing, like surfing, right? Mm. I just love surfing. Mm. It doesn't move the business, but it helps me mentally. And I think you got to have yep. that balance of all and really try and spend a lot of time in the black and the green time. And leave the yep. the blue and the red for someone else to to to, to move the business. So. I, I love that. And yeah, there, whether you you have the color or letters or numbers, it doesn't matter. But yeah, there's there's definitely going to be that stuff that you do that you just love doing. Maybe it's not quite going to move the business forward, and it could be something in the business, right? Maybe maybe you just maybe you're a house flipper and you love to tile, 
It just, just gives you the best and most and biggest enjoyment. Well, you're going to just continue to tile the bathrooms. That's okay. Give everything right. else, but just that's fine. If you really love it, go ahead and do it. But, but guess what? To tie back to what we were saying earlier, if you look back at those Gantt charts, those, those, those quarterly, you will see things shifting out of, uh, out of that black time or that number 10 and it will shift down to the blue or the yes. red time. And you'll yes. you'll now your your tens become bigger, mm. and your black time becomes even bigger. And, and you look at and this is the whole point of this story because we've been not, known you for five years. You've come a long way. You know, I bet you your tens and black times mm-hmm. look completely different today than what they did back in two thousand eight, what they did yeah. in two thousand and eighteen when we had you first on the show. Yeah. So it, it's great to see that evolution, and it goes back to where I asked that question: of, What are you going to do in ten years? I don't know, we'll see. like because it, it will see, you we'll know. See. <laughs> but I'm going to do the things that I know that, that are going to help yeah. me be, let go of that, and 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 but 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 making sure you're you're consistently checking in with yourself and understanding what those tens, what that black time looks like for you in the day to day business to help you keep growing as an entrepreneur. Yeah, you're going to be doing the things that are adding value to your life and others, right? I mean, that's that's, right. that's the goal. That's the you know, the quote unquote American dream to be able to do those things that are adding value to your life and other people's life and be able to create that freedom. Uh, For me, that's the freedom. It's not the freedom to go buy a Lamborghini or a Corvette. Like I don't care about that stuff. It's the freedom to be able to do what I want and when I want and really enjoy uh, life and be able to create an impact. Right. Completely love it. Mate, at the end of every show, we'd love to dive into the top five investing tips. You ready to get into it? I'm ready. Let's do it. Mate, question number one, what's the daily habit you practice to keep on track towards your goals? Boy, um, I, I uh, and I've actually fallen off of this, so I need to get back on it. So I'm glad you asked, but uh, I like to get up every morning and uh, I read and journal. Uh, I also do some, not big exercises, uh, but I do some, some minor exercises, some push-ups, some pull-ups. Um, some, uh, I've got a, a messed up back, so I do a lot of core. And so mm-hmm. that's, that's kind of my morning, uh, routine that I really love to do. And, uh, like I said, I got to get back on it. Kind of, kind of been hit or miss a little bit lately, but I think that really helps me set my day up. Awesome. Question number two is being, is who's the most influential person in your career to date? Um, there's a lot of very influential people. Um, I, I'm just going to go ahead and and, and say a, a person that really changed the way I think fairly recently. I guess it's been a while now, but it's Trevor McGregor. Um, a lot of people know uh, Coach Trevor McGregor. I hired him to really beat my brain up and he did and he did it in a good way. So I would say he's been very influential lately. A lot of, a lot of authors and just a lot of people I meet. Uh, I I try to be very open to hearing what other people have to say. No, I've had um, Trevor on the show a few times. Um, He's a very influential man. And for people who definitely don't know who he is, Trevor McGregor or coach Trevor, definitely uh, check check him out. Um, Question number three is what's the most influential tool in your business? So tool meaning a a physical tool, it could be a phone, a journal, or it could be a piece of software that you just can't run the business without. What is it? I would say it's, it's actually Zoom. Uh, what we're on right now, uh, Zoom has been very influential. I've used it a lot, a lot, a lot more lately too. Uh, you know, one of my main 
one of my main jobs is investor relations. And it's sometimes it's you're, you're meeting somebody from California or from, um, you know, Texas or wherever, and I'm based in Minnesota. So I love Zoom face-to-face. I feel like face-to-face is the best meeting you could possibly have. I would love to meet them and physically shake their hand. But if we can't, Zoom has been very influential. And so I do a ton of business on Zoom. That's awesome. Yeah, I think Zoom has been, since the pandemic, just going yeah. from leaps to strengths and bounds bounds forward in terms of what it's achieving and how it's getting people to connect across the globe. So yeah. love it. Um, question number four has been, what is the number one piece of advice you could give to your younger self? Always stay uncomfortable. Always stay uncomfortable. So, so easy to get fat and happy um, and think that you've achieved something. Uh, but in, in my opinion, for me at least, I create the most amount of joy and happiness in my life when I'm achieving more and more things or doing more and more things or disrupting more Right. And so I need to be uncomfortable at all times to be able to do that. Otherwise, you know, I'm not stretching myself. I'm not growing. Mm, I, I love that. Always be uncomfortable. Question number five is, mate, where can people reach you to continue the conversation? They'll be in your sphere. Where do they go? Yeah. Thanks for that. Um, so endurusscapital.com, E-N-D-U-R-U-S capital.com. It's Todd at Endurus capital.com. They can reach me on Facebook and LinkedIn as well. Uh, get, send me a, send me a, a direct message, DM me because I'm really bad at accepting friend requests. So uh, it's, tell me that, Hey, I, I heard you, <laughs> you and Reed chit chat and then I want to want to connect. Otherwise I probably won't connect with you. <laughs> <laughs> Mate, I'm sure you're getting plenty of DMs these days. Well, mate, look, I want to thank you so much for jumping on the show again after all these years. It's great to have you back. It's great to see what you're doing. Some of the things I took away from today's show, I think, is is your consistency around being um, sticking around the hoop and, and, and knowing your journey, your story, and becoming from a high school teacher through 2008, through fix and flipping uh, into what you're doing today. And then having that impact or the realization that, you know, I definitely connected with you on the letting go of the big 10 year goals and just knowing that you living more in the present because you don't know what 10 years is going to, going to, going to bring you. Um, I also think that your, your thoughts in and around the economy and where we're going and how to stay nimble with a you know, recession, we're already in a recession or how long this high inflation, uh, this high interest rate environment will be, I think is also extremely important to, to being diligent in your acquisition process. Yeah. Um, but, but, but with that being said, mate, thanks again. Did I leave anything out? No, uh, you know, if you did, just rewind and re-listen, guys. <laughs> exactly, exactly. <laughs> All right, my mate. Uh, well, look, enjoy the rest of your week. We'll catch up very, very soon. Sounds good. Thanks, Reed. Well, there you have it. Another cracking episode jam-packed with some incredible advice from Todd. Remember, if you do want to check him out, go to EnduresCapital.com. That's E-N-D-U-R-U-S Capital.com. That's Todd at EnduresCapital.com. He's also all over LinkedIn and Facebook. Remember to DM him to get involved in his sphere and check out what he is doing in the Midwest. I want to thank you all for taking some time out of your day to tune in to continue to grow your financial IQ because that's what we're all about here on this show. To give to like this show, just give it a five-star review. It's the easiest way to give back. And we're going to do this all again next week. So remember, be bold, be brave, and go give life a crack.